Am I on? There it is. Can you hear me now? Good. That joke never gets old to me. Welcome to my life. Um, so yesterday I went to sleep um, reading news about El Paso. And this morning I woke up to news about Dayton. Um, this is um, an epidemic. Gun violence continued to plague us in places of worship, in homes, in places of entertainment, everywhere from the mall to a festival. Um, I think there's been at least 251 characterized mass violent shootings this year. I think the death count from the last two weeks is 36. I know we even in our city had a shooting right up the street at 13th and Derry a couple weeks ago. Um, this is one issue that in this church, I'm grateful <laughs> that we're actually on both sides of the political aisle on. And this is why. Because I don't care if you're a Democrat. I don't care if you're a Republican. I don't care if you don't care. <laughs> we are a people of life. Our God calls us to choose life. And wherever your political party lies, we have to start acting. We have to start holding people accountable. We can no longer live in a society because what I think we must hold on to is it's not the hunters that we're worried about. It's not the collectors that we're worried about. But we live in a society that's killing itself. And we have to be a people who are willing to be bold and are willing to choose life. We have to be. So we're going to do something a little bit different, a little bit strange. Um, ask your neighbor if this is okay. But I just want to take a moment of silence. But I want us to do it touching someone next to you. Just as a reminder that even though we pray, sometimes silently, sometimes alone, we're in this together. Let's pray together. Lord God, God of life, we pray that you who breathe life into us may use us to bring life into your world. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who gave himself that we may have life. Help us to be bold and to stand up, to choose life, not just with our thoughts and prayers, not even just with the ballot box, but in every conversation, in every interaction, and for your people. Lord, help us to be bold enough to stand up for you. Help us to be bold enough to love. Help us to choose life, because you chose life. You breathe life into us. You give us life through the Spirit. You give us life through one another. Lord, keep us from just singing when it comes to gun violence. Keep us from just praying when it comes to gun violence. Move us into action. Amen. Amen. Amen.
Good morning again. Um, if you have your Bibles, turn with me. It's like shift um, to Genesis 27, 21. Wait, did I get this right? 24. I'm like really flustered. Take a breath. Genesis 24. Um, we're going to be continuing our series this morning on um, faith builders, uh, women of faith, looking at the early women of faith. And this morning, we're going to focus on Rebecca. Um, as we go through this series, just this reminder that our God asks us to not just have faith, but to grow our faith. And that what faith looks like is putting not just some of our trust, but our complete trust in the Lord. That faith is something that can be built. And we're blessed this morning. We're blessed for the rest of our lives, really, because our faith is built through many different things. Our faith is built not just by what we know of what we've experienced, but our faith is built by God's Holy Spirit that actually comes and lives inside of us and makes us more like Jesus. Our faith is built by Jesus himself, who came to show us how to live and love and to please God. Our faith is built by our community, which is the body of Christ, which is Christ in this world, which is all together one in him. And our faith is also built by scripture. Scripture that gives us these stories, stories like the one about Rebecca that we're going to look at a little bit more closely this morning. As we build our faith, may we be reminded that, that a little ounce of faith can grow into more faith. That something that starts small can grow up to be big and reliable. Something that grows, not only grows you, but allows others to be impacted by that faith. But faith is also stories and faith is testifying and giving witness of what God has done and what God is doing. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis 24. I'll be reading verses 1 to 27. Abraham was now very old, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. He said to the senior servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I am living. But will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. The servant asked him, What if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I then take your son back to the country where you came from? Make sure that you do not take my son back there, Abraham said. The Lord God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native land, and who spoke to me and promised me an oath, saying, To your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, so that you can get a wife for my son from there. If the woman, if the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you will be released from this oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand on the thigh of his master Abraham and swore an oath to him concerning this matter. I'm just glad we have notaries today, you know. <laughs> just saying. Then the servant left, taking with him ten of his master's camels, loaded with all kinds of good things from his master. He set out for Aram Naharim and made his way to the town of Nahor. He had the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. It was toward the evening, the time the women go out to draw water. Then he prayed, Lord, God of my master Abraham, make me successful today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I am standing beside this spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a young woman, please let down your jar that I may have a drink. And she says, drink. And I'll water your camels too. 
Let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Before he had finished praying, Rebekah came out with her jar on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor. The woman was very beautiful, a virgin no man had ever slept with. She went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came up again. The servant hurried to meet her and said, Please, give me a little water from your jar. Drink, my lord, she said, and quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. After she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too, until they have had enough to drink. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw more water, and drew enough for all his camels. Without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took out a gold nose ring weighing a bika and two gold bracelets weighing ten shekels. Then he asked, Whose daughter are you? Please tell me, is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She answered him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son, of Mil- the son that Milcah bore to Nahor. And she added, we have plenty of straw and fodder, as well as room for you to spend the night. Then the man bowed down and worshiped the Lord, saying, Praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. As for me, the Lord has led me on the journey to the house of my master's relatives. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you that you do not leave us abandoned on the journey. We thank you that when we come to the house of our master's relatives, we sit with your body, brothers and sisters in Christ, brothers and sisters united the world over, anyone who's ever believed in you. God, we thank you that your kindness, your mercy, your hesed, your love that always does our best goes in front of us. We thank you for your plans that you've made for us. God, may we be reminded that success to you is not success of stature, of bank account, of safety, of comfort, of control. Success to you is your kingdom come and your will be done. Lord, help us to walk in that success. In your holy and precious name, amen. So when I first um, started reading and studying for Rebecca, I, um, see, I was a marketing major, and I don't get to use my degree a lot. So I came up with this sermon title, and I was like, right place, right time, and Rebecca. <laughs> I know. I loved it, though. You know? Like, I was just like, this is it. This is going to be good. But one thing that kind of surprised me is the more I studied and read this story, I kept having this old hymn play in my head. Trust and obey, for there's no other way. And I kept reading and saying, but no, 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 no. The story is about right place and right time and and how he prayed and he was just there and it happened and there's no coincidences. But I kept coming back to trust and obey. Yes, this story was destined by God. Yes, it was prayed for by Abraham, by Sarah, by Isaac himself, who at this time could be anywhere from 37 to 40 years old. Yes, this story is prayed for by the servant himself. It's probably even prayed for by Rebecca herself in thinking about her future to come. You see, when you live in a culture where having an heir is the most important thing, everyone in the family is praying for exactly this moment. But what I kept coming back to was how every character in this story is almost forced by God to trust and obey. 
And what I found interesting about that is that the call that God makes in Genesis 24 is the same call he puts on us. There's so many ways we can describe our faith in God, but how much of our faith looks like trust in God and obedience to God. Because if God has put his Holy Spirit in us, how much of our faith looks like trust in the Holy Spirit and obedience and submission to the Holy Spirit? Because if our faith in God is about God building us by putting Christ in front of us, how much of our faith is based on trust in Jesus and obedience to Jesus? And if our faith is built by the community around us, the body of Christ, how much of our faith is in the body of Christ? One of the greatest pains, I think, to our God's heart is not that Christians, especially here in the West, are separated. Because I think God is okay being all things to all people, that he might save some. I don't think it's denominationalism that breaks our God's heart. I think what breaks our God's heart is our lack of faith in his people, in his community. It's our belief in this Western milieu, in this Western reality, that the individual is the most important thing. That's what breaks God's heart. Because if we're meant to be members of one another, then it's not about what you think. It's not even about your story. It's not even about you. It's about us. It's about the body. And it's about taking our individual stories, yes, but letting them be in submission to the whole body of Christ as well. That's what it means to be members of one another. Aren't you glad your knee isn't only about your knee. Aren't you glad your back, if it is working, isn't only about your back? Your body works as one. And if the God that we serve and worship has given us the body to build our faith, how much of our faith looks like trust and obedience in ourselves and what we know, or trust and obedience in the body and what God is doing with all of us and in Scripture, how much of our faith is based on what God has said, what God has done, these stories of faith. So when I come back to this story, I think about Abraham, how through all his life now, we open the story with, yes, he was very old, but God has blessed him in every way. And I think about how Abraham had the promise, but then his whole life, is about obedience to God's commands. Yet even Abraham, at the end of his life, he has to what? Trust and obey God. He has to trust God for the promise, but he has to be obedient to God, knowing that the promise is not going to be fulfilled in his lifetime, that his days are almost gone, but I'm still going to be obedient to God that he will keep my message or he will keep his promise going forward. And I think about this servant He's in charge of everything that Abraham had, which I think is kind of interesting. It doesn't go to Ishmael, who's been sent away. It doesn't go to Isaac, who's the heir apparent, the son of everything. It goes to this servant, and he has to trust this God of Abraham has to become his God. He has to trust they don't have notary, that putting my hand under this old man's thigh and swearing my life, that I will do this, that God will help me. He has to trust when Abraham says, do not worry. 
God has sent an angel ahead to prepare the way for you. He has to trust, and then he has to be obedient to not only God, but to his master, Abraham. And I think about the angel. I don't know what angels do. I don't even know if angels have a concept of time. But I know that angel woke up, we'll call it on a Tuesday because we do time. And I know that angel was dispatched. But then I thought more about it and it's like, was the angel dispatched for that moment? Or was that angel working with Rebecca and her community to prepare her for that moment? Because one of the trouble with individuality sometimes is we live for moments. And God turns to sometimes be a slow cooker. Character is not necessarily made and defined in moments. It's built up. So maybe the angel that God spoke of, because angels to the ancients just meant messengers. So who were the messengers in Rebecca's life that prepared her to be the woman of God she grew into? I thought about Rebecca and how she has to trust and obey. She's just out doing what she did every single day. She meets a stranger sitting by the well, probably ignores him because you don't know who he is. You get your water, you go back down. He follows you, and he follows you with a simple request. But I think about her heart, that he came up with this test in his head and prayed to God for the test, and before he could even introduce the test, she passed it. She aced it. And something I missed in this test for years is how much she gave her whole heart to the task at hand. She ran. She filled quickly. She went back and forth. We know he had at least 10 camels. We, we can estimate what his whole battalion or his whole people that were with him, she worked until all of them were satisfied. She had a trust that God would be blessed even though no one would see this. She had a trust that her father and maybe her brother and her mother would be okay with her being not only a little bit late to dinner, but hey, I brought 40 of my closest new friends. But she also had to trust this messenger, this servant, in what he was saying that it was true. That the God she was getting to know is the same God who was there with her, her granduncle Abraham. And it's the same God who had now brought her to this moment. And I think about her family, how much they have to trust and obey God. We have gotten sprinkling mentions here and there through the Genesis narrative about Abraham's eastern side of the family. And I think it's because the writer wants us to, when he reintroduces them into the scene, he doesn't want us to be like, well, who is that? I don't know who these people are. We still do it, but he's trying. Or the writers are trying, Right? But this family has to trust that this God that they don't have as personal of a relationship with as Abraham is the God of the world. It's the God who will bless their daughter, their sister. They have to trust and be obedient to the servant of a family member they haven't seen in decades, maybe 50 years, maybe more. If Isaac is at least 37, there's a good chance Abraham and Sarah have been married for 57 years. So maybe they last saw him at the wedding. Maybe. And I think about Isaac. He's missing this narrative because he only comes at the end. But I think about Isaac who is in this story at this moment grieving the loss of his mother. 
I think about Isaac who, you know, in the Hebrew, they actually, in, our, in the NIV calls it meditation. But we don't know what the word means. There's, there's, there's some ancient Jews who, who actually have something called mincha, which is a midday meditation. And I, I think my best Johnson language translation of the actual word is a heart to heart. Isaac is broken because his mother was all he knew, all he loved. You have to remember this is after Abraham and Isaac happened. And it's a very sad tale because we don't know what the reconciliation looked like after they went up on the mountain. We know it's a great sign of faith. We know that God provided, but you don't see Abraham and Isaac in the same scene in the same way. And I think that might even have something to do with the servant being in charge of everything that Abraham had, even though Isaac was 37. So his mom, who was his world, is now gone, and he's having this heart-to-heart with God, and he has to trust and obey the God who says, you're the son of promise. You're the one the kings will come from. You're the one whose family will bless all of the world. He has to trust even in his grief. Trust and obey becomes the defining theme of Genesis 24. And the two stars of the show for me are the servant and then Rebecca. I love this servant. I love him because we don't even know his name. There's some who've assumed that it's Eliezer. And the reason they make that assumption is because in Genesis 15, when Abraham is frustrated and struggling with God, he says, God, I know you made this promise and I'm getting this son a promise, but it's not happening. But I have this great servant, Eliezer of Damascus. He's in charge of everything. Can he be my heir? And God comes to him and says, no, you will have an heir from your flesh and blood like I promised at the time I promised. So we think our best estimate is that this is Eleazar. But maybe it wasn't. But what we know is that he's the senior servant. He's the one in charge of everything. And we know that Abraham has great wealth and he's the one who controls it all, not Isaac. But we also in this story know that he's faithful to Abraham. How many of us are blessed by God and put in positions of authority and we're defined by our faithfulness to God or the people we serve? It's a reminder to all of us that it's not about the authority you have or don't have. It's about whether or not you're willing to pledge your life to the people God puts in your life. And I love that even years later, we don't know his name, but we have his testimony. And his testimony is someone who Abraham trusted to have the most important task of finding his son a wife. And I love that he's faithful to the Lord God. I love that he prays to God. He talks to God. He has this conversation with God like he knows him, like he's dependent on him that he will only know success because of him. And I hope that's how we pray. Like we know him, like we depend on him, and that we'll only know success because of him. And then there's Rebecca. I love Rebecca because one, she's chosen. Not by Abraham, he just prayed for a wife. He prayed about her, but he didn't know her. I love that she's chosen, not even by Isaac. He's grieving. He's on the mountain praying, having a heart-to-heart with God and trying to heal from the loss of his mother, who you can argue is his whole world. I love that she's chosen, not even by the angel or the messengers in her life that prepared her for this moment, 
I love that she's chosen by God. By God. God looked at all the people in Abraham's family and he said, she's the one. And that's how he planned and ordained her steps. I also love that she's committed. I don't know if you've ever been to a country or a place where you have to go and get the water. One of the greatest blessings in this country is that for the most part, we can go to the tap, hit it, and, 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 and have water. That's not the experience for the majority of the world. There's people who have to get jars and, and, and buckets and, 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 and walk sometimes miles upon miles to get water. So no matter her standing in her house, the fact that she's the one who goes and gets the water shows me that she's committed and that she's a servant. And I love that she's committed to God. I also love her character. Talked about this briefly, but when you read through the narrative again, see how quickly she moved, how she ran. I've only had to get water a few times in my life. I guarantee you, I would not be running to fill camels and 40 people. I'm all about collaboration, so let's get this together. <laughs> but I also love about Rebecca that gets missed in this narrative that she gave consent and it was her decision to go. You can talk about the culture and how, you know, her family and the men made all this thing. But when it comes down to it, God has a little segment at the end of the chapter where her family wants her to stay and they call her out in the front. And Rebecca says, no, 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 I will go. Why? Because she trusts and she obeys God's call. Her marriage is ordained by God. Her marriage is brokered by Abraham's servant. She loved her family, but she trusted her God. Man, I think that's a message to the North American church. Love your family, but don't let your family become an idol. Are you willing to trust your God? And she says, I will go. And the thing about the rest of Rebecca's story is it's interesting. Because when we get to the second half of her life, she doesn't necessarily get the most glowing reviews. So we're going to try to maybe introduce a different perspective. The first one is, we know she chose supposedly Jacob over Esau. And even as a kid reading, you're like, I'm not a parent yet, but this can't be right. How are you choosing your kids, right? And some of you who have favorites, God bless you. The three people that laughed, you know who they are. But here's the interesting thing about her choosing Jacob over Esau. Jacob was a manipulator. He was. He was brilliant. He was all about the future and what's going to happen, but he was a manipulator. Esau, though, if Jacob worried too much about the future, Esau lived too much in the present. In fact, in Judaism, they believed that Esau wasn't just a hunter, but that Esau worshipped idols while Jacob studied and learned from Yahweh in tents. The, 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 the Jewish understanding of this story, even when they give the blessing, is that when, when Jacob walks in, his father Isaac smells paradise. And that was one of the ways, even though he was blind, he knew something was off by his smell. And then and, and the Jewish understanding that when Esau walked in, he smelled Gehenna. He smelled death, not just the death from hunting, but the death that like your heart doesn't belong to me. And we learn later on after our story in 24 that Esau then does what his parents didn't want to do, and he marries people from Canaan. 
And this verse and this understanding of the Old Testament has been abused for centuries to say that God is some kind of God that only wants you to marry people who look like you. But here's the thing about our God. He cares about you and he cares about their heart. And that's the separation that God wants. He wants Isaac and even Ishmael and even Esau to marry someone who belongs to him. So she chooses Jacob, not because she prefers Jacob, but because she sees God's hand on Jacob. And we have to hold on to that. Yes, they deceive Isaac. Yes, she's the one who orchestrates Jacob being sent away. But how about this? She's the one, I would argue, who's more faithful to the promise than Isaac is. I'm not sure what happened after Isaac and Sarah died. But I know that Isaac was faithful. Remember, he went with his father up on the mountain and was willing to lay down his life. Remember that even when his mom had died, he's up on the mountain again praying and meditating and having this heart-to-heart with God. Remember that even after they get married, Isaac and Rebekah, it's 20 years before they have a son, and it comes out to be the twins Jacob and Esau. Isaac trusted God's promises. But I think Isaac was blind not just in sight, but towards Esau. He was blind to not be able to see that Esau was unfit to carry on the promise. He, like his culture, held on to birthright and being first, whereas Rebecca saw the heart. Rebecca never went blind to God's will. So it's not about her preferring a son. It's about her choosing the one who belonged to God. And I think that's something to tell us about this promise that God passes down is that everybody in this story, Abraham and Isaac, but don't forget Sarah and Rebekah. And I would argue that Jacob, who becomes Israel, Israel who gives us the Messiah, the Messiah who is Jesus Christ, doesn't happen without the faith of Rebekah and her trusting and obeying God that the son who wants to love and follow God, even though they do it imperfectly, is the son of promise. So what are some of the lessons for us today? It's simply trust God fully and always. In all these women's stories, that's what we're going to learn. Trust God fully and always. Why? Because every day is new. And yes, the mercies are new every morning, but guess what? So are the doubts. So are the fights. So are the struggles. Commit to God every day. Trust him in every way. No, you are loved and chosen by God. There's some of us who are blessed to be in families where we know we're loved. There's some of us who are not. There's some of us that are blessed in places to know that we're appreciated. There's some of us who do not. But every single day, our God wants you to know that he knows you and he loves you. One of my favorite things about God is uh, when he had the people marching through the wilderness and we think he forgets about them, he had them wear tassels on their clothing. And the tassels was to remind them because in their culture, you know, for now we have tassels on like grandma curtains, you know, like that's what we put our tassels on. But in that culture back then, only kings and queens wore tassels. So even when they're in the wilderness, God says every single day when you get dressed, I want you to be reminded that to me you're a queen. To me, you're a king. To me, you're known and loved. 
And that's the same message God wants us to have, that we are known and loved and chosen by God. Rebecca was committed to God and committed to doing God's will. This is another thing we have to commit to every day. Because just like the mercies and the doubts might be new every day, so is our will. So does what what we want to be done, our will be done. Are you willing to submit? Because I think there's way more in the faith that wants you to surrender and submit than for you to do your will. So are we willing to be committed to God and doing his will? Like Rebecca, are we willing to be people of high character? The kind of character that looks like Jesus. That's not just your benchmark. That's not just your goal. That's what you must be because that's what our world needs. That's why he's given you the spirit. That's why he's given you the body. That's why he's given you the scriptures. That's why he's given you himself. Live and love like Jesus. And all this can be summed up simply in this. Make the choice daily to follow God, but trust and obey. Trust and obey. There's not only no other way But your survival and the world's survival is dependent on your trust and complete obedience to God. Amen? Amen. We're going to end our service with having communion. I'd like the the ushers to go get ready. I think Pastor Carmen is assisting me if she wants to come up. And I was thinking about how to tie in communion. And then I remember that communion is a covenant. And Isaac and Rebecca is also a covenant in marriage. And I remember that in this story that God is saying, it's not about your race or your people. It's about your heart being right with me. And it's not about you not just trusting and obeying me, but it's about you trusting and obeying and trusting in my hesed, my kindness, my love. And when I think about communion, is there anything that communion is but a reminder that we need to be right with God? that we need not just be grateful to what he's done and remember the bread and the cup, but that we need to be right with him. But is it also not a reminder of God's goodness, of God's grace, of God's mercy, of God's love? Abraham's servant says, God, don't forget your kindness on my master. And this morning we can say, God, praise you for your kindness in your son, Jesus Christ. Like that, us just come up. In the next moments, we'll be sharing in communion together, celebrating the new life that we have in Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, we invite you to partake of the bread and the cup. The deacons will be passing the bread and the cup. As you receive them, we ask that you hold them until all have been served and we can partake together. The table of the Lord is for all who believe, for all who have received Christ Jesus as Lord. We now invite you to come to this table not because you must, but because you may. Come to testify, not that you are perfect, but that you sincerely love our Lord Jesus Christ and desire to be his true disciple. Come not because you are strong, but because you are weak. Not because you have any claim on heaven's rewards, but because in his frailty, you stand in constant need of heaven's help, mercy, and love. Now that the supper of the Lord is spread before you, lift up your minds and hearts above all selfish fears and cares, Let this bread and this cup be to you the witness of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit.
on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, blessed it. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Father, we just come before you, Lord, that the one night that he chose, my God, death was to give us life. The one night, my God, that he chose, my God, to be on that cross, Lord, lovingly, knowing, my God, that it was the only way for us, Lord. We just thank you, God, that you made a way for us, Lord. And we, my God, celebrate the life that comes after, God. We thank you even for the resurrection now, Lord. In Jesus' name, my God. Take the bread of life Broken for all my sins Your body crucified To make me whole again I will recall the cup Poured out in sacrifice To trade this sinner's end For your new covenant And hallelujah I'll live my life in remembrance Hallelujah, you promise I won't forget. I'll walk salvation's road with fear and trembling. Your was born my own as Christ is formed in me and hallelujah I'll live my life in remembrance hallelujah you promise I won't forget my brothers and sisters this bread which we break is it not the communion of the body of Christ this bread which we break is the communion of the body of Christ take and eat this bread remembering he was born to be our savior he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Feed on him in your heart and be thankful.
In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, which in the Jewish Passover feast is called the cup of blessing. And he told his disciples, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Lord, we thank you for your kindness, for your goodness, for your mercy, for your compassion, for your love. We thank you that we are only right with you because you chose to give yourself to us, because you chose to let your spirit quicken us and turn us to you, because you choose to continue to walk and journey with us. We thank you for this cup, the representative of your blood. Yeah, it represents your blood. And we thank you that the blood that was shed on Calvary, even to this day, matters even more than the blood that flows in our veins. God, help us to be reminded to not only be thankful, but to love like you have loved us. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, I'll live my life in remembrance. Hallelujah. You promise I won't forget. ever I should lose my way, if ever I deny your grace, remind me of the price you paid. And hallelujah, I'll live in to me you've been so so good to me oh to think where I would be if not for you if not for you and you've been so so good to me for the community reading. My sisters and brothers, this cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? This cup of blessing which we bless is the communion of the blood of Christ. 
take this cup, remembering that he said, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it together and be thankful. my gift to you this morning. Um, this song has been in my head all week, so hopefully it stays in your head all week. Because um, I've learned in years of preaching that no one remembers your sermons, but they remember the songs. So we're going to end our service this morning by singing Trust and Obey. Um, I'd like to invite up the intercessors. I'd like to invite up um, any pastors in the room to please come up. Um, like I said up there, you know, every day affords us new faith new mercies of God, but there's also new doubts. There's also new challenges. There's also new fights that we're in. And so when we invite you up here, we invite you to journey together because I think the devil wins, or at least he thinks he wins, but we're on our own. So we're inviting you up front because we want you to know that you're known, that you are loved, and that we're joining you in prayer. So if there's anything you'd like us to pray for, please come up. Um, like to call up the worship team as well as we sing. I wasn't sure. Or Pastor Esteban. It's fine. Um, <laughs> but we'll pray for you as we sing this last song. Let's say let's sing together. When we walk with the Lord In the light of His Word What a glory He sheds on our way While we do His good will he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey trust trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy with jesus but to trust and obey Not a shadow can rise, not a cloud in the skies, but his smile quickly drives it away. Not a doubt nor a fear, not a sign nor a tear can avail while we trust and obey. Trust and for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Not a burden, not a burden we bear, not a sorrow we share, but I told He doth richly repay. Not a grief nor a loss, not a frown nor a cross, but it's blessed if we trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, 
but to trust and obey. But we never can prove the delights of His love until all on the altar we lay. For the favor He shows and the joy He bestows and for those who will trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Again, trust, trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Our Father, our God, we thank you that so many times in Scripture, when you talk about happiness, you talk about being blessed. Help us to be the blessed ones who trust and obey you. Lord, grow our trust every day. Help our obedience along the way. And in all things, Lord, help us to lean on you. We're grateful for your spirit that lives inside of us. We're grateful for your community around us. We're grateful for your word in front of us. But most of all, we're grateful for your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to love you. And teach us how to love you more and to love one another. In your holy and precious name, amen. God bless you all.